Welcome to Bright Now, a podcast about parenting and educating talented kids, sponsored by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth. I'm your host, Jonathan Plucker, the Julian C. Stanley Endowed Professor of Talent Development at CTY and Johns Hopkins University. Today we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, creativity. Uh, Here to help us with that is Dr. Kristen Lamb. Kristen is a postdoctoral research associate for the Robinson Center at the University of Washington. She studies the role of creativity and talent development and classroom conditions that develop creative thinking. She has a new book called Developing Creativity in the Classroom by Proofrock Press. Uh, Kristen, welcome to Bright Now. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so I, I, creativity is a topic that just fascinates parents, right? It fascinates everybody, I think. Um, but there are so many misconceptions and myths uh, surrounding it. Um, uh, so let's start with one of the biggest ones that's been around forever. Uh, I think people believe you're either born creative or you're not. And uh, what what's your response to that? Do we have much research on that? Yeah. So I think of this as like the Maybelline myth, right? Like you're Maybe she's born with it. <laughs> this idea is, I think, comes from the fact that creativity is like a gift, you know, from the gods that's bestowed upon us. Um, and we tend to attribute creativity synonymously with talent. Um, so we do have this preconceived, you know, notion or this mis- misguided perception that you are, you're, you either have it or you don't, right? Um, <laughs> And any time that I uh, go to a, I conduct a creativity workshop, I ask the audience how many of them think that they are creative. And every single time I get a very small handful of, you know, teachers that, that think they're creative. Um, so it's definitely a myth that needs a little bit more busting, I guess you could say. Whenever I teach... Um, especially undergraduate courses, but also graduate creativity courses. Um, I asked the same question on the first day and never more than 25%, one in four, raises their hand and says, yeah, I'm uh, creative. And I always say, you're taking a creativity course and you don't even believe that you're creative. I I just don't think people realize um, just how, uh, I guess, thorough and pervasive that misconception is. Um, And as, as I like to tell people, um, it's almost a moot point, right? Because whether you believe you're born with it or you're not, and we're just helping you fine tune it, or we can actually teach people to be more creative, which I think is the more research supported view, we know that we have interventions that help people become more creative. So um, in some ways, it's kind of a red herring question, don't you think? Yeah, it, I think that's a really interesting point because there is so much um, research now that supports creativity is a malleable construct that we can, you know, develop creativity in anybody. And, um, but we're stubborn and, you know, reluctant to let some of those things go. <laughs> so I think that's definitely an area where that research, bridging that gap between research and practice can help, you know, to continue to address that. I, Kristen, I, how do experts define creativity uh, in general? Oh, goodness. Now, that's a can of worms, right? <laughs> um, most researchers agree that, you know, on key keywords or phrases of like novel or useful, that creativity is um, involves those two things. Um, but if that's really interesting because we still, I think as a field, we still struggle some with 
defining that construct or, or reaching a consensus on uh, defining that construct, which then also kind of leads into the problem we just talked about regarding, you know, myths about creativity. What do you think about, about that? I um, strongly agree with what you just said that I think the fact that we haven't come up with a common definition, I, I, th- I think we're closer than we've ever been before, and I think we do roughly have one. Um, but for a long time, way too long, we didn't. And um, so is it surprising that people kind of then end up defining it themselves based on popular culture, movies and TV shows they watch, um, which is entertainment. It's not real life, right? So you see a movie about, um, you know, this tortured genius and you infer all the wrong creativity lessons from that. Um, I had a a former student who is now a uh, movie executive And he was speaking with my class once and somebody asked, you know, how come you just do all these biopics of these lone geniuses with all their problems? That's not what the research says. Most creative people are just normal people. And he said, I'll never forget this. He said, would you pay $12 to go watch a movie about a totally normal person doing creative work? And everyone said, no. And he goes, well, that's why we don't make those movies. It's not real life. But to people who don't think about creativity a lot and without a common definition, that kind of circles back on us. And it does become real life when you watch these things, when you read books about it. Um, so I just think it's a, it's a uh, trap that we run into. I, I do think that the originality, novelty, uniqueness plus usefulness or task appropriateness. Um, I, I think that's, as long as people keep that in mind, I, 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 especially what we're talking about today, which is really creativity in classrooms, um, I, I think that pretty much works for us, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I, in a lot of my work, I actually you know, subscribe to the definition that you put forth in 2004. Um, and I particularly like that definition because it includes that interaction uh, piece um, with the environment, the creative process, uh, and then it also includes creativity having to be defined, you know, within that social context. Context. So, um, I think that when we define creativity in that way, then we're allowing for the ways that it can vary depending on environment and um, individual differences and and that sort of thing. What do we know about um, uh, sort of how creativity develops throughout one's lifespan? Are there peak periods of creativity in people's lives? Um, You know, is it one of those things, if you don't develop it, you lose it? Uh, What do we know sort of about the development of uh, creativity, creative thinking, creative attitudes? Yeah, so, you know, I tend to think of creativity as a muscle, you know, instead of this inborn trait, right? So if we want to develop creativity, then we have to intentionally practice and um, put ourselves in those positions where, you know, we're like similar to working out um, or exercising to develop, you know, muscle strength or something like that. So the, the lifespan, I think, is an interesting topic because, you know, we see some of those instances where you have young children who are creating at really high levels. Um, and then you also have adults, you know, so we look at these two pieces. Um, 
so I think it really boils down to that intentional practice and, um, and development. Um, I also think that the 4C model is a good um, model if we're trying to look at it from a lifespan um, development um, where we're just looking at, you know, starting at the mini C level and then building upon that to graduate to, you know, the next uh, level of little C and so on. So, you know, if we go, if we're going by that, then it's, you know, we're thinking that creativity or the peak of creativity really would be, would allow for when the individual is an adult, um, they've had a, enough time to practice and develop that creativity or that expertise within, you know, a domain. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's a really interesting way to to approach this question. Um, can you? I, I think most parents won't be familiar with uh, the four C model. Can you just briefly describe it? You described two of the C's, but could you just give a a, a, a brief overview of it? Sure. So with the four C model, you know, you might you have a child who is beginning at the mini C level. So um, here, that could be any kind of creative task that the child is is attempting. Um, it could be, you know, painting or, or anything like that. Um, and then the next level would be the little C level, which is building upon uh, mini C. And so that would be where that same child is maybe internalizing some of that feedback um, that he or she's received regarding something they've created. And then, you know, they're continuing to develop, you know, that that creativity or, or um, that work. So then once you get up to the pro C level, then that's where we're getting into an individual who's been working at this is now becoming, you know, professional or an expert within that, you know, domain. Um, and then finally, you get to the big C level, which is where really we're looking more at those individual individuals who've reached uh, eminence or something of that nature, where they've created, a, made a significant um, contribution that may even change, you know, the, the domain or the field that they're working within. Yeah, I think it's important to note that um, we, we know probably more about the first three C's than we do about big C. Um, like everyone kind of knows big C when they see it, right? It's just it really is sort of game and life-changing creativity. Uh, but we're, we still don't know the mechanisms um, on, how, uh, on how you move among the C's. And especially how you get from little C or pro C to big C creativity, capital C creativity. Um, we should probably also note that uh, that the 4C model is by our colleagues James Kaufman um, at the University of Connecticut and uh, Ron Baghetto at uh, UConn, who's moving to Arizona State University. Um, Kristen, is there a relationship between creativity and intelligence, sort of intellectual giftedness and, uh, and creative giftedness? Well, you know, again, this is, we've showed a modest relationship between the two. Um, so if we take, for example, the, you know, threshold hypothesis, then we're saying that we see these significant differences when somebody has an IQ of less than 120. But when you have an individual that has an IQ of 120 or above, then we're not really seeing any significant differences uh, in creativity. So, but we've also, we also have studies out that show that 
what are we measuring, right? Convergent thinking or divergent thinking? Or are we measuring some other aspects of, you know, creativity where we might see it? Um, maybe if we're measuring like flexibility or, or something like that, then the relationship could possibly change. Hmm. Yeah, it's one of those tricky things. Um, it all depends how you define it and measure it, right? And so there are ways that you could define and measure creativity, intelligence, intellectual giftedness, where there doesn't really appear to be much of a relationship. And there are other ways that you can define it and measure it that makes it look like they're almost the same thing. Um, so it just gets it just gets tricky, I think. Uh, I think the way that you described it is a good way for parents to keep in mind Um uh, let me ask a different version of that, though. How important is just like background knowledge and information for creativity? I, I think I, I, um, I don't hear this from parents so much as I hear it from educators sometimes. I don't hear it as much as I used to, thank goodness. Uh, but I used to hear them, uh, used to hear, especially, um, especially when I was an elementary school teacher, or some of my other teachers would say, look, you know, some kids just need to know the stuff because that's where their strength lies. Other kids don't really need to know the stuff because they're creative. And I always wondered if that was kind of a weird false dichotomy. Like you still need to know stuff to be creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because how are we going to engage in creative thinking if we're not already familiar with the practices of, you know, that discipline or that content, right? right. Um, so I think that it does kind of, I think you do have to have some sort of knowledge base. But then, you know, again, we also have research that shows once you've gotten too ingrained within you know, discipline, then sometimes it's hard to get your, you know, force your thinking outside of that. So I think it goes back to a good balance of having a base of working knowledge uh, to build from. Um, but again, we can be creative at any level. Right. I, one thing that I often tell teachers and parents uh, and, and, and also students is that um, uh, in a very colloquial sense, creativity is about taking old stuff and creating new stuff. Um, but that means that the more old stuff you have, the more information you have, uh, you have more building blocks, right, to try to do new things. Uh, like you just very, very aptly put it, um, you know more of where sort of the boundaries are within disciplines, across disciplines. Uh, it, yeah, I just think it's sort of a false dichotomy that we've created. Again, another one of those myths and stereotypes that we always seem to be fighting and pushing back with with creativity, that it's about content knowledge or creativity. Uh, but it's really about both for most people. So I just think that's really important. Right. Yeah, that's something that um, I address a lot in creativity workshops is that that idea that teachers can only teach for one or the other. Um, and then trying to work through um, this idea that we don't have to make that choice, right? We can we can teach um, content, but we can teach content um, and creativity at the same time. That's a really nice bridge to um, – if you could just pick one or two bits of advice to give to educators about developing creativity in the classroom, what would you, what, what would you recommend, Kristen? You know, I, I go back to that relationship between – how we view ourselves as create creative or not and the relationship that has with um, teaching creativity in the classroom or even um, finding creative characteristics in the classroom as desirable or not. Um, so 
I think one of the key pieces there is for, you know, educators, and this could apply to parents too, to really practice self-reflection in how they view their own creativity and, um, and working through some of those myths, like we talked about earlier, that you, you don't have to be, you know, born with it to have it, but, um, we can, we can all engage in creative thinking. And, uh, when we do that, we're, we allow more creative thinking within the family unit or within the classroom unit as well. What do you think about that? Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of the advice that you threw out there for educators certainly applies to parents, too. I think in both cases, like if you just stopped me on the street and said, OK, give me two things to do in the next hour with children to help them be more creative. Um, my answer changes over time um, as I uh, think about it more and uh, more and more studies come out. But I think the two things, the first would be modeling. Um, uh, uh, we don't realize the extent, I think, to which our children watch us as parents and watch us as teachers. I mean, those are pretty much the two most important um, adult role models that we have for everything. Um, but if you as a parent or a teacher run into a problem and throw up your hands and say, oh, whatever, I need, we need to figure something else out, rather than say, you know what, I'm going to tackle this problem and, you know, talk very honestly about how we solve problems and how we try to do different things and what we use for creative expression, creative outlets, I think that modeling piece is important. And then I also think that uh, creative articulation, the actual process of talking to people about your creativity, helping convince people that your work is creative, um, I think that's really, really important. We don't do it enough in schools. We don't do it enough at home. And yet that's a key adult creative skill, right? To be able to convince others that you are creative and that your solution is creative. Um, you know, once you graduate from high school, college, whatever, no one, you don't you don't turn a project in and then wait for your grade. That's not how the game works anymore. People go, well, I think this is good, or I don't think it's good. But you play an active role in helping convince people that your work is creative. Um, almost all big C creators have that common characteristic. They were, they are exceptional advocates for their own creative work. And yet we almost never teach students how to do that. And so I, th I, think, I think those two pieces, um, uh, to be crass about it, you know, salesmanship of your own personal creativity and then the uh, modeling piece for parents and teachers. Um, uh, I mean, I, everything that you said before I think is right on the money. So I, I would just add those two pieces for parents and teachers to think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the modeling piece is a really interesting piece to look at, too, because um, I think when we think of modeling, sometimes we we think of modeling that process. But I think a huge part of that is also modeling how we deal with, you know, our failures when we try to be creative or we engage in creativity. And um, I think that modeling that vulnerability that comes along with uh, being creative is also important um, if we're modeling that with our, you know, 
kids or our students. Uh, Kristen, uh, that's all the time we have today. I think you and I could talk about creativity for hours here. Uh, thanks for joining us today on Bright Now. Um, as a reminder, uh, uh, Kristen's book, Developing Creativity in the Classroom, is published by Proofrock Press. Uh, and you can find more information about it at www.proofrock.com. Uh, thank you for being with us today, Kristen. Hey, thanks a lot, Jonathan. That's it for this episode of Bright Now. Tell us what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes by emailing your suggestions to brightnowpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy Bright Now, support us by sharing the podcast with friends on social media, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Bright Now is produced by Jonathan Plucker, Tracy Guerin, and Trisha Schellenbach. Audio production by Iris Starkangelo and the team at Clean Cuts, a 3Cs company. Our score was written by Austin Coughlin from Noise Distillery. Special thanks to CTY's Interim Executive Director, Amy Shelton. Bright Now is underwritten by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth, a nonprofit dedicated to identifying and developing the talents of academically advanced students worldwide. Find us on the web at cty.jhu.edu and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.